and welcome to Author to Author. I am your host Jasveer, and today I have Tim Shafer Aguilar, popularly known as T.S. Aguilar, with me. He is the author of Impeachers, The Odyssey of a Solitary Man, Shafted, a Mexican Tale, and more recently, Lifeline: The Case for Effective Cancer Immunotherapy. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jasveer. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the episode, Tim. Uh, tell us a bit about your, your journey as an author. My journey as an author? Okay, you're going right back to the very beginning. Well, um, it, it was set in the mid-1980s. Uh, I uh, kind of quit my work I had done until then uh, in engineering and uh, information technology and uh, turned to journalism. That was also due to travels uh, in, in uh, you know, to Central America. And uh, so I wrote first some reports about the environment and tourism. And then uh, when, in particular, as far as environment was concerned, I uh, became aware that uh, dealing with one specific topic with one little story is not very satisfying because it does not explain the background, the action, uh, or for that matter, the inaction um, of certain characters. And so, uh, basically, it was Christmas Eve 1990. I was alone at home. I had no uh, reason to celebrate or anything like that. And I sat down and started writing my first novel. And uh, this, this was about the environment. Well, um, uh, you know, basically, uh, the book turned out to be a commercial flop. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, would have had reason to, to give up writing after that. But uh, there was an incident at the Leipzig Book Fair in Germany in 1991, after my book had been published, um, that encouraged me to keep writing. I was invited to read to the public. Yet at the time of my appearance, there were only three people in the audience. My publisher, a representative of the book fair, and one journalist. I started reading anyway. Totally absorbed in my text, I didn't look up until I finished and was knocked off my little chair by the standing ovation of a crowd that had up tiptoed very quietly and filled the hall to the rafters while I had my nose in the book. So, um, I mean, when do you get a, a standing ovation as a writer? <laughs> anyway, that was, yeah. that was uh, what encouraged me to, to keep on writing, okay? Um, but then came, a, came a, a long break after that because some people had persuaded me to go into script writing and make the movie out of this, etc., etc. And was, that was all basically nonsense. That was just dreaming, so to speak. And uh, then... I uh, met my wife, uh, she was a filmmaker, and we decided to make documentary films. And uh, when we couldn't get enough financing for our work, uh, we decided to become uh, teachers, to work uh, as teachers. And uh, so um, that put a break into my, into my uh, uh, writing. And finally, I picked up writing again about uh, six years ago, basically by, first of all, taking notes, copious notes, um, when my wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer. 
And uh, I followed this very, very closely because uh, I, I was desperately uh, looking for a cure for, for cancer, which of course was fruitless. There is no cure for cancer. And this I have to state very, very clearly. When people talk about that they were cured of cancer, I'm sorry, no. There's no such thing as a cure for cancer. You are palliated at best. So, yeah. uh, you know, the thing, thing is, um, most so-called survivors on average have five years of progression-free survival, meaning the cancer does not uh, reoccur in a vicious form, but then suddenly it reoccurs in a far more vicious form and often untreatable form, and then it results with a fatality. Uh, so. Um, that was is, is a case uh, is exactly what what uh, what we went through, and um, I, I followed the entire procedure very very closely. Uh, kept a diary. My wife kept a diary as well, and then of course my my research into this, it all ultimately resulted in the book Lifeline, uh, the case for. Um, uh, cancer immunotherapy, effective cancer immunotherapy. And uh, the, the thing is there that uh, I found out that the only hope we have is indeed uh, cancer immunotherapy. And here, here comes some good news because uh, about a year ago at the University of Cardiff in Wales, uh, United Kingdom, um, <clears throat> the researchers found a new a uh, cell, uh, uh, what they call a, a so-called killer cell, a white cell, a white blood cell. Uh, they call it MR1. And this particular killer cell is capable of differentiating between cancer cells and healthy cells uh, and leaves the healthy cells alone. Now, this has to be investigated much, much further and research is going on. But, and this is the really good news, together with the latest uh, pharmacological mRNA um, uh, approach that was taken, by the way, for the COVID uh, vaccines uh, by some companies. Uh, we have a chance of actually coming up with a universal cancer cure, not just palliate, but actually a cancer cure by developing a vaccine that, first of all, prevents the occurrence of cancer, and secondly, when you have cancer, to actually cure you of cancer. So there we are. <laughs> this is something remarkable, you know. If we can have a vaccine, possibly a cure, uh, that's going to be really uh, miraculous for millions of uh, people who are suffering from cancer. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, I think it's the biggest killer. <laughs> I think bigger yeah. than bigger than COVID sort of, uh, I mean, amidst all the hoopla about COVID, we've sort of forgotten about cancer. Nobody's mm -hmm. talking about it, but uh, I think your cancer is deadly and you rightly said uh, nobody can be cured. It yes. can be delayed yeah, at best and uh, yeah, there have been cases wherein people have fully recovered and then finally after five, six, seven years, it's back. Exactly. When you look at this, at the global figure, you know, uh, it makes the, the uh, fatalities of COVID-19 that is uh, so much uh, publicized lately uh, and so on, it makes it uh, look rather minor because every year more than 20 million people 
are diagnosed with cancer. And over 50% of uh, people afflicted with cancer die from the disease. So that means well over 10 million people die. Okay. Uh, when you look at it on a national scale, that means in Canada, 80,000 people die, uh, um, you know, this year, will die this year of um, cancer. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is something that actually, uh, yeah, I must, I must raise the flag a little bit for, for uh, Prince uh, uh, Charles, uh, Prince of Wales, and so on, who wrote uh, at the beginning of, uh, actually it was the end of last year, I think it was the 30th December last year, where he published an article about cancer being forgotten, being the forgotten disease without a hoopla about COVID-19. And he was so absolutely right. And he, he mentioned there in this article that we should not forget cancer because uh, uh, due to the hospitals being so overloaded with the treatment of uh, um, uh, the COVID-19 patients uh, that they often had to forego uh, the, the treatment of, uh, of cancer patients because there simply was no room. There was no personnel and so on and so forth. So um, th that poses a real danger. It is. It will be very interesting to find out what the figures are for this year alone uh, of uh, cancer patients and the fatalities, of course. Uh, I hope it will not uh, you know, turn out far, far worse than anybody uh, had ever expected. So anyway. Yeah, truly, you know, I echo your uh, sentiment because I've worked closely with a lot of cancer survivors for my book. And uh, uh, my friend here introduced me uh, to a cancer survivor called Shrenik Shah. He's a global speaker and that's how I created the book Shahin Shah, that's his biography. But yes. I, I've had, uh, I've been in constant touch with Ravindran. He's a cancer crusader. He had lost uh, his family member because of cancer and he became a cancer crusader he's been doing that for the past 19 years and he says that it's you know baffling how people are ignoring cancer patients uh, for the last uh, year and a half uh, we were hit by uh, covid in march 2020 at that time i was still in india i came to canada in august 2020 and and he was really struggling uh, you know with helping people because he couldn't go out there was a few outside yeah, uh, there yeah. was restriction on movement. There were no cabs available, and he was feeling helpless because he was trying to uh, muster all the manpower, all the help he could get for these patients. Uh, you know, cabs, uh, helpers, so that you know, in case they can't reach hospital, at least they can get help at home. It was really, really tough, and yeah, I truly yeah. agree uh, with what you've said. People have sort of forgotten the biggest killer in yeah. the modern world, which is yeah. cancer. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, a Lifeline: The Case uh, for Effective Cancer Immunotherapy is an eye-opening book. It's available on uh, Amazon and Amazon Kindle in ebook yes. and paperback format. I suggest you grab your copy now. Yes, uh, that that would be, of course, very nice. You know, because here here's the one thing: yeah. because of the ongoing research, and uh, the ongoing research is extremely expensive. It uh, needs uh, tons and tons of money. When you look at the Cancer Research Institute in New York, 
which in itself does not do research, but it uh, supports any kind of research project that is going on around the world. Uh, they distributed somewhere in the region of three and a half billion dollars and so on to uh, these research facilities. Now, and, and that is even not considered sufficient, not considered enough. So I started as well um, my little contribution to uh, cancer research by starting um, a, a public funding campaign on GoFundMe under the title of Help Cancer Immunotherapy Research. And uh, um, on top of that, you know, I contribute 50% of the sale of my paperback, not just the one book of all my books, 50% uh, of that goes to cancer research. So I, I, I am totally committed to this and I, I will support it as far as my little bit of power permits me to do so. Um, so uh, it, it is very important that people realize that we are on the threshold of coming up with a cure for cancer. But in order to do that, it does need more financing. And when you look at this, you know, if you if you consider for a minute that everybody that is uh, afflicted with cancer, uh, their relatives, their family, their caregiver would just donate one dollar. It would be 20 million dollars. Okay, and this this yeah. would be a real shot in the arm for this research. And I, I hope that people realize there is something that we can do. We can contribute to this. Uh, and and this this is this is very important. And what you just mentioned about uh, the the person uh, you wrote the book about being left so alone, that is so true. That is so true. Um, my wife and I we really were desperate for some help, some assistance, and you know often enough we just didn't get it. We were left totally in the dark also about the state my wife was in. We were not given any information, what were the chances of survival, etc., etc. And this is why I basically uh, called then um, the, the cause of death of my wife was not so much the cancer, but the negligence of doing something about it. And so, on. see, there is one other thing. Uh, in 1999, uh, two Canadian researchers in Alberta they investigated the use of a DL methadone. This is not the methadone given to uh, drug addicts. This is a, a very much watered down uh, version of methadone in an aqueous solution. And they came to the conclusion, yes, it is useful uh, for cancer patients because it somehow, first of all, relieves the pain. It's, uh, it gives, gives people, uh, again, the, the vigor to, to live life and so on, that is the first thing. But secondly, uh, in conjunction with a much reduced form of uh, chemotherapy or much reduced uh, doses, dosage of, of uh, chemotherapy, it actually starts to fight cancer. And uh, this, was, this research was pursued more in Germany, by, in particular by, by two, uh, by one oncology uh, specialist, uh, Dr. Friesen, Claudia Friesen, and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a hospice care, you know, uh, somebody who runs a hospice uh, uh, and so on and so forth. And they uh, looked into this. And in the meantime, this 
man, or this doctor that runs a hospice, uh, he has treated over 5,000 patients in his hospice over the past 10, 12 years and uh, came up with fantastic results. He, and what I'm getting at now is there are uh, various what's called orphan medications that could help uh, at least to alleviate the pain and possibly promote the uh, some form of killing the uh, cancer cells, kill, killing tumors, and so on. And not just in, in uh, the so-called soft cancer, like blood cancer and, and uh, skin cancer, but actual tumors and so on and so forth. And what I didn't understand was that this particular type of research as well as the scientific reports are totally, utterly ignored in Canada by the oncologists. And this is where I was struggling, struggling, struggling to get through to the doctors and say, why can't you look at this? Why can't you look at these uh, particular scientific reports, the, the evidence, and at least give it a try? There's no harm done. If my wife will die in a month or two, well, then, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, but if, if this will help her, why don't you give it a try? No, 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 completely out of the question. They will not consider it. They will not even look at this, okay? It's foreign for a start. Secondly, there is the excuse that uh, in Canada, this, this medication has not been uh, you know, investigated and is therefore not legal, which is complete nonsense. Okay, which is absolute complete nonsense because methadone is used widely, uh, but for drug addiction. Okay. Yes. Yes. And 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 and, and why why not give it a shot for cancer treatment? And this is where I said, what is hell going on? There are other medications. Do you know one very very uh, uh, common medication, aspirin, has been used or has been investigated by various oncologists. Uh, particularly in the United States. There's no support to finance an empirical clinical trial of the effect of aspirin on cancer. Now, uh, you know, now, now I come to something a little bit more specific, that is breast cancer. You know, they, they all make that big fuss about this huge progress they have made and so on about treating breast cancer. I'm sorry, but all women that listen please be aware that over 600,000 women die every year as a result of the recurrence of breast cancer. Okay. And here, uh, a Belgian doctor uh, has investigated this and come up uh, with a, with a medication called Ketorolac. And he said in his investigation, that um, uh, if taken just before the uh, surgical intervention or just after the surgical intervention does prevent the recurrence of breast cancer. However, here's the problem. His limited funding uh, only allows him to investigate this with approximately 275 women. What he would need would be massive funding to tested out on a global scale for, uh, yeah, well, I don't know, millions of women, maybe. Okay. And so, yeah. yeah. And, but, uh, for an empirical clinical trial, uh, yet there is no funding available. And 
the sad part is I understand that the uh, pharmaceutical industry, of course, is not interested in that. They own, they can't make money with healthy people. They can only make money with sick people. Okay, so they are not interested in curing anyone. <laughs> and uh, but that the governments of these countries, it might may it be Belgium in particular, or the European Union, or for that matter uh, here in the United States, uh, or in Canada and in the United States, there's no support for this at all to finance uh, an empirical clinical trial um for this this particular medication and this is where i say what is wrong here what is wrong don't you want to cure and when you look into this you know there are more and more people who come to the conclusion the pharmaceutical industry is simply not interested in finding a cure permanent cure to be exact Th that's right that's right permanent cure you see and, th and then then another thing that bothers me is about this misuse of the term immunotherapy. There's one clinic in the United States that makes big adverts about its treatment of injecting a particular medication into a cancer tumor and it kills and that's immunotherapy. No, I'm sorry, it is not. That is not immunotherapy. Immunotherapy means to uh, provi provide some kind of medication to the patient that will strengthen the immune system for it to fight the disease. And killing one cancer tumor is not immunotherapy. Okay, so uh, th this is where, where we are. We are very much, very much at odds uh, about what is immunotherapy, because there are some people who say, well, we have treated one particular type of cancer, but I'm sorry, one particular type of cancer, there are over 200 defined types of cancer. Okay, what about the other 199 or over 200 types of cancer? Does your medication do anything for that? Evidently not. Okay, so it's a pretty, pretty hairy kind of topic to get into. And you sure. find out more and more, uh, you know, as, as I write in my book, that uh, in many ways, uh, the uh, medical profession is run by humans and humans are sometimes very much tempted when a big financial offer comes their way to grab it and say, well, okay. So, uh, as, as I state in my book there, um, in, in the United States, there was an investigation about the uh, influence of, of uh, financial benefits on doctors and so on, that four out of five medical practitioners in the United States are uh, actually dependent on the pharmaceutical industry and the largesse of the pharmaceutical industry to hand out money. Well, I, I write, I write uh, about many, many instances and so on and so forth. And it's the same in Europe, by the way. And I think if it was investigated globally, uh, you would find out more horror stories about the corruption and fraud that is going on as far as, uh, you know, uh, the, the sale of alleged cancer medications is concerned. It's a very, very sad aspect of yeah, cancer treatment. And it's, it's really worse in the developing nations, uh, especially Africa and Asia. You know, it's, it's really yeah. worse. The yeah. whole doctor, pharmaceutical company and the laboratory network or nexus, as we call it. Uh, there are huge documentaries in India where it's been proven that doctors 
would prescribe a specific laboratory a specific test because they are getting money from them and same as with the medicines uh, yeah so that's that's a topic that can be you know talked a lot there have been a lot of investigations and it's been proven pharmaceutical companies are not sort of looking for or pushing for permanent cure as we were talking about they are more yeah, than yeah. happy yeah for people to come back Yeah. yeah that's how their business will grow yes <laughs> yes 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 and when when you look at their profits uh it is it is absolutely disgusting you know when but the profits enable them to um you know hand out money by the by the bucketful and so on and so forth and um i, I write about one particular case there uh where a former uh pharmaceutical salesman uh from long island uh actually blew the whistle on uh, one of the pharmaceutical or his former employer and stated very clearly how they uh enticed doctors to prescribe their medication against better knowledge in other words it was medication that wasn't for that particular type of disease this goes beyond cancer okay but uh you know and and uh ultimately this company was sentenced to uh pay a penalty of some 675 million dollars yeah all right fine 675 that sounds a, like a lot to you and me and yeah. wow what a lot of money that was a real harsh penalty no i'm sorry compare it to the um amount of uh profit this company made okay <laughs> yeah and 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 it's somewhere like 3 billion dollars profit they made yeah and so on and then uh, 675 million that's well they they took it out of petty cash so to speak okay <laughs> <laughs> true true uh, you know my boss used to say uh education and healthcare are two of the holiest of the holy cows right as we call it call them in india yes. cows are holy in india yes. but yes. they are still business Yes, yes, yes. Um you know here yeah I I uh, must say something where I feel very strongly about and that is the healthcare system. Now I myself I'm an OAP. That doesn't stand for odious and putrid but rather old age pensioner. Um and uh you know I I I look around and then uh I look at the healthcare system and I say why is it that uh for for all those things that afflict old people more so than than uh, the younger generation the younger people um you know why why is there no support for that it starts with uh ocular glasses uh hearing aids dental work okay uh nothing it's not it's excluded from healthcare excuse me why Why would uh why would you expect an old age pensioner to suddenly have something like several thousand dollars lying around to uh, for for either uh dental work or for a hearing aid or for this and that and you know uh and, and this is where I say our healthcare system is inadequate and I think the covid-19 pandemic has proven beyond any doubt how inadequate our healthcare system is you see consider here in canada uh over the past 10 years 12 years uh the federal government has slowly but surely reduced its contribution to healthcare to the provinces and so on by some 35% and i can only wonder why what what is happening here 
okay, uh, is, is health not important any longer? I thought health was our greatest asset, so to speak. If you're healthy, you can do lots of things. When you're sick, well, you can't do anything. So please, uh, to keep a society functioning and have everybody contributed, you have to have a healthy population. And when somebody is sick, they need uh, health care. It's very simple. Okay. Um, and, and so, I'm sorry to put it very bluntly, but I think ultimately this pandemic has not hit hard enough. It should have hit five times not. stronger. If, yep. if, if suddenly in Canada, imagine this, if suddenly in Canada, instead of 80,000, uh, or whatever, whatever, no, what is it? Uh, 20,000, you know, if, if in, instead of that, something like a hundred thousand people had died from COVID-19. And instead of, uh, the afflictions, uh, whatever they were, uh, you know, five times as many. And so on a real pandemic all across the country, would the politicians finally have woken up and done something? Well, I should, I should darn well think so. Because politicians are not really interested in the public. They are interested about their own re-election, about wielding a little bit of power, a little bit of authority, and so on and so on. That's what interests them. And they couldn't care less. Once the voting has been done, they couldn't care less about the people who voted for them in many, many instances. And this is the real problem here in Canada in particular, politically speaking, we don't have a real opposition. What we have here in my book, politically speaking, is bad, worse, and worst, not bad and good. Okay? And so on. And, and, and uh, this is where I say, people, please, okay, healthcare is very, very important. It is the, the crucible of, of our life. Okay? So please, uh, you know. <laughs> Do something more for healthcare. Strengthen mm -hmm. the healthcare system. Don't reduce it. Okay. True. You know, that's again uh, something that we have in common. Uh, back in India, we've got the same thing virtually with no opposition. Uh, yeah. You know, the current government is running amok. They yeah. are more or less trying to plug the hole by holding it. Yeah. You know, with their hands. They are not looking for permanent solutions. You know, that sooner yeah. or later you're going to get tired <laughs> holding the <laughs> that hole. And, and that opening is going to open up again and the water is going to start flowing again. So, whatever, yes. you know, uh, things that we are uh, hearing about COVID, this treatment, that treatment, it's just a temporary plugging in the hole. They are not looking at. And, and you know, this is evident uh, with the mutated versions coming in every uh, every three or four months. There is a new version of the virus coming up. And yes, yes. I think whatever we are doing, it's just we are trying to hold the opening we are not looking at uh, you know permanently plugging or maybe changing the entire pipeline we are that, that's right that's right yes i think you're right it should have brought in more discussion it should have brought in more solutions but somehow a lot has not been done you know yes lot. yes yes it, yes, it yes. needs to be uh, thought from a different point of view yeah. really loved our discussion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I mean, this is almost unavoidable, you know, that yeah. you somehow get away from the actual theme of cancer treatment and get into politics uh, that it, normally it shouldn't happen. But unfortunately, the, these two things are so closely uh, intertwined, so uh, linked, 
you know, that you cannot avoid it. You cannot avoid it. You exactly. have to talk about this. And this is where I think, uh, you know, th this is when I look around here and, and talk to some people and so on. They always complain about the government. They complain about this and complain their the, 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 the member of parliament and so on and so forth. Yet, uh, when the next, next election comes up, who do they vote for? The same people they complain same about people. bitterly. And say, well, please give me a break. Then, you know, come up with something. And I think, I think uh, a prime example, not, not, not to say that uh, Canada is like Lebanon, but a prime example is Lebanon right now, where the people are really out in the street and uh, almost cause a revolution because they want to get rid of this entire old clique of politicians that caused the problems first in, in the first place and do nothing to change the system and so on, have no idea of how to deal with the problems that exist there and so on. And this is, of course, an extreme case. But on a much reduced scale, we have the same thing in Canada. You look at this and I said, well, Christ's sake, people, if you're so unhappy, do you think that these other two parties, the big parties, that they would provide a solution? No, I'm sorry, they won't. Look at them. Okay, what they do is uh, everything they state is don't upset the apple cart, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the one party that supports uh, the, the uh, present government right now, uh, basically, you know, their suggestions are so minimal that you could say, don't upset the apple cart, no, just paint the spokes of the wheels on the apple cart a different color, and suddenly everything will be all right. No, I'm sorry, it is not. <laughs> Okay. It's like trying to win a popularity contest in a high school. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I looked at the various programs, you know, and although, of course, you might say, hey, this is ridiculous, you know, but I looked at it and the only party that I can support right now is the Rhinoceros Party. Because with their outrageous statements, <laughs> they're ridiculous programs. Yes, I know. I, I know it sounds ridiculous and it, it's a satire, but still, you know, in satire is often a lot of truth and so on. And, and, and they address certain things where you say, yeah, well, sure, why not? You know, have a couple of rhinoceros party members in parliament and really stir up the crowd, you know, and so on and see what happens. But anyway, <laughs> we're getting off the topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I loved our discussion. This was, this was wonderful. Yeah, okay. you're doing some. You, you know, you you're doing really fantastic work in terms of cancer awareness. Your knowledge is impeccable, and you've done a lot of research. Uh, you know, the only other icon that I can think in Canada is Terry Fox. You know, he, he was phenomenal back in the eighties, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. He succumbed yeah. to cancer himself, but then what he did uh, in just over one year of his uh, yeah. active, you know, crusade was simply marvelous. And even after that, uh, you know, I, I think it's human nature. If it hasn't happened to me or my family members or anybody I know, why would I talk about it? That's yes, yes. that's the common attitude. If the yeah. if cancer has uh, not sort of affected me, my family, my family members, or maybe uh, anybody in the friend circle, why the hell should I talk about it? I think yeah. uh, we need to change that attitude. And cancer is a yeah. very serious issue. Uh, yes, yes. More yes. serious than COVID. People wake up. Yeah. Uh, we need to talk about it. We need to yes, discuss indeed. about it and we need to spend more money uh, researching about it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I, I, I would just like to raise one one 
little point in here, I was not just caregiver to uh, my wife, but uh, oh, but uh, just over 20 years ago, uh, my mother also uh, was afflicted with cancer, uh, but that was over in Europe, in Germany. And here was the significant difference. Um, whenever uh, I went to the hospital and so on, the first thing that happened was the doctor took me aside and gave me a complete rundown of what the status was, uh, what were the chances, and so on and so forth, and uh, for survival of being, being treated successfully, and so on and so forth. And then one day he took me aside, and he was very open about this, and he said, uh, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, your mother, we don't have any kind of treatment for her. And so on, it has spread all over and, uh, you know, her last, or rather, this, this uh, kind of uh, do not uh, resuscitate type of uh, document, uh, which is called in Europe, uh, die with dignity uh, request, and so on and so forth. And he said, we have to abide by that. And I said, fine. So I took her out and so on. And two weeks later, indeed, my mother died peacefully. But these last two weeks, They were full of uh, chat and uh, humor and laughter and, uh, you know, and I, I was so happy that I could, you know, give these last few days of my mother's life some real meaning for her as well as for me. Because uh, whatever there had been, uh, you know, over the years and so on and so forth, was simply the, the slate was cleared you know it was absolutely you know a, a wonderful wonderful relationship and so um you know I, i was looking then at at the time with my wife why was it impossible for any doctor and i mean really every oncologist to simply state bluntly and clearly this is the status and this is what we can do and this is what we cannot do and so on and this is her chance for survival And so on, nothing. We were kept totally, utterly in the dark. And so on and so forth. And this is what I found so truly, truly disgusting. And this is where I would say it is a problem in North America, not just in Canada, but it's generally. I don't know why the medical profession in North America feels, uh, you know, so, so reluctant to talk honestly Uh, to the to the patients as well as the caregivers, the family, and so on. Honestly, about this is the status. This is where we're in. Why can they do that in Europe, and why can't they do it here? And so on. This is where I say, people, this is a major point for every medical professional. Please open up your mouth, state clearly as to what the the status is of the patient. What is the chance for survival? What is the chance for uh, successful treatment? At least for a prolongation of life or an improvement of the quality of life and so on. And nothing, nothing, absolutely not a word, okay? On the contrary, twice we were introduced to a doctor who was talking about deaths and deaths and all oh, the inevitability of deaths and so on and so forth. Yeah, sure, of course, everybody dies. Every, every living organism eventually dies. But what is this nonsense? Here is a sick patient that needs treatment. Can we talk about that? No. When I then got angry with one of the doctors and said, look, instead of talking to, to my wife and me about deaths and, you know, what we how we should prepare, you should maybe 
try to find a doctor in Canada that will is willing to prescribe DL methadone on a trial basis. Okay, at my own risk, at our own risk. Okay, because it has helped over 5,000 patients in Germany. Why can't we do that in Canada? She was totally uh, insulted, disgusted. She's up, up and out and poof, I won't have anything to do with this guy. Fine. All right. And this is, this is where I say, people, the doctor-patient relationship in Canada has to improve. Okay? I'm not saying that there are not good doctors around. No, the majority of doctors, the majority of medical practitioners are caring and competent professionals. And there is no question about that. But why is it that in our particular case, in, in, the, in, in our entire encounter with all the medical professionals, there were two people, two people that can single out who truly cares. One was actually a nurse practitioner and the other one was a young up-and-coming oncologist. But unfortunately, this young and up-and-coming oncologist had no influence on the scheme of treatment, of therapy, of anything. And this is where I say, why was it so difficult for the older professionals, for the experienced professionals, to be as honest and straightforward as these two medical professionals? And here's here's something I write about in Lifeline. Uh, you know, this is uh, uh, Dr. Curlew uh, is his name. Um, hang on here. Let me have a quick look here. Uh, yeah, um, he is actually practicing in Northern Ontario and he single-handedly takes care of, I believe, five communities flying around and so on and so forth. One doctor taking care of five communities, you know, that tells you something about this. So, um, now as, as he, where, where is this page here right now? I'm in the right section, yeah. Um, oops. Okay. All right, here, let me read this. Uh, there's not much more to be said about Kathy's case history of cancer treatment gone horribly wrong, except that it provides a glimpse of Canada's much touted and lauded universal healthcare system. The statement of a doctor who practices in Canada's Northern Ontario provides a confirmation of my criticism. He says, the system isn't broken. The system is doing what it was originally designed to do. It was never meant to provide care. It was meant to deny care. They have this phrase in medicine called the Hippocratic Oath. We, may, we take it uh, when we graduate from medical school, it means to do no harm. Sometimes I see my role as a physician to minimize the harm that the system is already doing to the patients. And I think his statement that it, it really it, it supported me. It, it, I, I had found something. Here was a medical professional who with every bit of work that he can do is trying to uh, live up to the Hippocratic Oath. 
uh, more than just not to do harm, but actually to help his patients. And so on, be totally honest with them and so on. And uh, I looked at this and I said, yeah, why is there only one doctor like that, that uh, is reported about? It was from a report on CBC several years ago, but it is so true what he said. And uh, I, I feel, um, you know, th this is something politicians should stick right on their mirror so that they can read it every morning, every when they look at it, okay, uh, in the bathroom mirror, mirror and so on and so forth, uh, and, and should please become aware of this. We have to do much, much more uh, for our healthcare system to make it effective and to help the sick people to get them healthy again and to have them as contributing members to this society. And th this is this is this is ultimately you know where we again slide off into politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was really hard hitting, and you know, uh, truly, healthcare industry is like a machine, right? Huge machine yes. run by cogs, run by uh, you know belts, and there are good cogs, there are of course bad cogs there uh, who run it as business, who run it as uh, a profit making machine. But yeah, yeah, you know, there are good doctors and there are of course bad doctors as well, and and. You know, to sum it up, the acronym "honesty" is the best policy is needed. You know, yes, uh, yes. We, nobody is asking for miracle. Uh, all people are asking is honesty. Yeah. You know, can you do it or can you not do it? I, you know, uh, I really would not want to talk in detail about my father's case. You know, he suffered a lot towards the end. But then, you know, you treat uh, a doctor like a god. But then, when God kicks your ass. You can't do much about it, you know. You you can't say anything about it. So that is the kind of uh, expression or experience that I had when it came to my dad, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. you can't argue with God, so to speak. But yeah, doctors are God. And you know, I think more research is required in non-traditional uh, treatment like Ayurveda back in India. There are so yes, many yes. experts mm -hmm. who are doing wonderful. Then the clinic in Germany that you talked about. Yeah. I think we need to open our eyes. Researchers need to open their minds and move away from allopathy a bit and move into traditional and old ways of treatment. And, you know, maybe they might find a solution in the good old uh, yes. you know, solutions like yeah. Ayurveda. That's I, at, least, at least to investigate it. To, to yeah. seriously investigate it and to to seriously subject it to medical trials exactly. and to see what happens you see okay. the thing is uh, it would it would uh, help not just in in curing things but also by preventing uh, to, uh, uh, to to <laughs> put certain misconceptions on the garbage dump where they belong like, exactly. You no, know, I mean, look, look at this. In in Asia, there's this big thing, uh, ground up rhinoceros horns, uh, ground up elephant tusks, and so on is good for erectile dysfunction. Excuse me, hello. All this material is the same as your fingernails. So why do you need the ground up horn of a, a rhinoceros and kill this marvelous animal? And so on, that you can live with your with your misconception about erectile dysfunction okay just chew your fingernails and if that doesn't exactly. have any effect it doesn't work does it 
but no, oh no, 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 no. So I, they've uh, got to kill animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's kill the animals. Let's destroy them, you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> and this <laughs> this is something really, really sickening in a way. Uh, but you know, as you say, the Ayurvedic uh, medication uh, should definitely be investigated much, much more. Um, I, I was uh, at one time when my wife and I were in Oman, uh, the Sultanate of Oman. I suddenly came up with a kind of a lame left leg and uh, we went to, to various doctors and um, you know they, they well I don't know what it is you know it could have been a brain stroke or something what excuse me this is my left leg not my brain you know and so on and so forth but anyway um, and, and then we came to an Ayurvedic uh, medication or a clinic there and uh, you know the guy checked it all out and tested it and so on and so forth. And um, he said, well, first of all, I have to note that you have a problem with your stomach. And I said, well, well what's that going to do with my left leg? And they said, no, 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 it's just as an aside, you know, so you should do something, you know, take take some medication to straighten out your stomach. Okay, fair enough, you know, and so on. And then he said, okay. Uh, so then he said, no, it's actually, you don't need medication. What you need is some uh, vigorous type of uh, exercise uh, here, and we have this particular machine and there was it was like a what do you call these things where you walk walk on these machines you know and so on and so forth but it had these very uh like, like ball bearings okay and so on and so forth for me to step on and 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 walk and it helped it helped oh, okay. it, it didn't do away with it but it certainly improved my entire condition you know oh, and then then he told me ultimately don't worry about it it will probably be gone in, in, in four weeks or so, all by itself, as long as you keep on taking long walks and exercise and so on and so forth. It's probably due to you not uh, having exercised enough. Okay, fair enough. And indeed, he was right. So, there we are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, very, it was a very small fee we had to pay. I mean, and then I was very happy with it, you know. So, uh, th there are certain things definitely they should be investigated they should open their mind uh to to all sorts of other uh, possibilities you know it's not just the modern medicine but also traditional medicine also here in in canada you know um there are there are um, I'm, I'm thinking about some years ago oh it must be more than 20 years ago where uh, uh, they had investigated the smooth sumac a tree and uh, where some natives claim that by uh, preparing an infusion like a tea uh, for, uh, for from the smooth sumac now i don't know which particular part the leaves or the uh, the branches or the the roots i have no idea unfortunately but this infusion uh, prevents women getting breast cancer and I thought, hey, man, this is something fantastic. It should be investigated. But ever since, I have not heard anything about it. And so on. Why, why was this suddenly pushed aside? Okay. I mean, isn't it possible that we have something really, really significant here? And so on, where the natives knew something that we didn't know, that we don't know. And, uh, you know, let's, let's honor them by investigating this a bit further. And see exactly. if we cannot come up with some some solution to this really really nasty nasty problem, and so on and so forth. So, 
um, you know, uh, it's just one little example. You know, there are many other many other examples of of uh, natives coming up with certain healing methods and so on and so forth. And of course, they push aside. You know, it's you know, it's just of, of no consequence. I'm sorry. If a patient is cured of a particular sickness, a particular disease, it is significant. Don't tell me. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and and doesn't matter if it's Ayurveda, if it's Chinese medicine, or if it's the native medicine you're talking about, yeah. somatic tree. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter as long as the person is treated. How does it matter if he was treated by chemotherapy or Ayurveda or Chinese yes. medicine? Or, or yes. by the somatic tree. Uh, yeah. I think we need to open our mind, and researchers need to open their mind. Scientists need to open their mind and move beyond uh, the conventional um, allopathy. And, and we were talking about Germany. Germany is one of the largest producers of uh, homeopathic medicine. You know, in India, yeah. homeopathy is is a huge alternative for uh, allopathic medicine. And most of the medicines that you see in homeopathy over there, they are manufactured yeah. in Germany. Yeah, yeah, my father yeah, was a yeah. big follower of homeopathy and so uh -huh. yeah you know what the time has come to look at alternate ways of treatment uh, holistic treatment uh, that mm -hmm. you're talking about and, and mm -hmm. this was a lovely conversation Tim I really enjoyed uh, talking okay. to you and you're doing some of the most fantastic work when it comes to awareness uh, spreading awareness about cancer and cancer treatment I would love to connect further uh, you know with you and uh, bring Please. you back on the podcast uh, yes, so yes. that you know the listeners can learn more from you. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you so much, Tim, for taking time out to be with us. It was really an honor talking to you. Uh, yes, the conversation. I I thank you very much of having uh, looked at uh, my profile and found me worthwhile talking to. So I I really appreciate you having uh, called on me, and I thank you very much. Uh, and uh, anytime. Anytime you feel like uh, talking about a different topic uh, that you may have gleaned from my profile as to what <laughs> I could talk about, um, you know, then I'd, I'd be very, very happy to talk to you about this. Also, my further research into cancer treatment, of course, you know, I'd, I'd gladly, uh, I'd be very glad to provide updates and, and uh, see where we can go from here. Right. Thank you, Tim. And please uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, they can get in touch with me, of course, via my uh, email. Uh, the easiest way would be to look on LinkedIn. If you happen to be a member of LinkedIn, look at my profile, uh, Tim Schaefer Aguilar. And there you have my email address. Now, for all those that are not on LinkedIn, I give you gladly my email address. And that is uh, Tim Schaefer, T-I-M-M. S-C-H-A-F-E-R at yahoo.com. Okay, so just type it in and I'd be very happy to hear from you. And uh, you know, any question you may have where I might be able to help you, I'd be very happy to, to do so. Um, thank you so much, Tim. So guys, that was uh, author uh, Tim Schaefer Aguirre for you, uh, popularly known as T.S. Aguirre. His books are available on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. And of course, you can get in touch with him uh, for the broader topic that we've just covered today, which is cancer and cancer awareness. That was a lovely conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope you all also enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out to listen to us. I'll be back with another episode shortly. Till that time, take care and thank you. Thank you very much, Jasveer. Thank you.